Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Warren Nettleford. On the show today, Meta debuts Twitter rival Threads. Ofcom investigates right-wing news channels, and Ipso deems Clarkson's Marco column sexist. Also on the programme, CTAM looks for a buyer, Apple could be forced to pay for news, and Sir John Whittingdale raises concerns over Channel 4. All that, plus in the media quiz, we'll learn who's got a reboot and who's got the boot. That's all to come in this edition of the Media Podcast. In the news this week, STV has brought Greenberg Media for just over £20 million. The firm behind hits such as Lego Masters and The Hit List was majority owned by Keshet. Its acquisition means STV Studios is now the largest UK producer outside of London. There's been a steady decline of women holding senior roles in the UK TV sector, with disabled people also poorly represented. However, the stats by diversity data monitor Diamond did reveal an increase in black, Asian and minority ethnic people represented at senior levels. And in an unusual move, GQ pulled a profile piece on Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslav. The unfavourable article, which labelled him the most hated man in Hollywood, was repeatedly modified before being completely removed. GQ cited inaccuracies for their reason to pull, and the fact that the Newhouse family, who own GQ's parent publisher Condé Nast, have seats on the Warner Brothers Discovery Board is purely coincidental. Now joining me from the beating heart of Hoburn here at the London Podcast Studios, we welcome back Cantar's Jane Osler. Jane, Barb is set to make changes to its rating system. What can TV ratings fans expect? Well, there's lots of things going on in TV, aren't there? So Mm. one of which is the rise of streamers and advertising-supported streaming applications, which means that if you're an advertiser, what you want is you want to know how many people you're reaching across everything. It's not just ITV and Channel 4, it's Mm. also the streamers as well. So there are some changes, you know, which have been publicised very recently being made to the panel, increasing the panel, so the number of homes that are on the panel, which are representative of the population as a whole. Um, But there's also new measurement systems being put into place to make sure that advertisers basically get what they need in terms of the reporting of who they're reaching and where. So is this an admission that it wasn't working well more recently? No, not at all. No, I think it's just a natural evolution of 
technology, how the meter works in people's houses and the changing television broadcasting landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an admission of anything. It's just it's just everything has to progress. And they, you know, Barb has to make sure that it's reflecting current viewing patterns so they can report as much as the viewing as they possibly can. Okay. Now, next, Jane, we have broadcaster and TV critic Scott Bryan. Scott, I see on your Twitter that a new star is born. What's that about? So basically, my sister decided to go and get me a star for my birthday, uh, which was two weeks ago. And um, you can buy a star for about 50 quid if you want to. Um, And then I was thinking, okay, what do I name this star? Most people can name it after their own name, obviously. I decided to name it after the We're Just Normal Men meme. Um, in the moment that that um, hacker T Dog and a presenter uh, Lauren Layfield completely corpse live on air when um, hacker came up with a line that just said we're normal men we're just innocent men and they completely lose it and it became a meme and it was a flag at Glastonbury Festival yeah. I decided to name a star after that meme it's yet to be approved by the <laughs> astronomy people yeah but if it has been approved i'll find it um i'll, I'll receive it in 28 days and i've just realized the absurdity of trying to explain all of that out loud uh if you've not you did a very good job yeah. yes don't worry you did a very good and job i remembered what i did so that, that that's always a plus size <laughs> start. what you did then though as well was you alluded to something which has happened today yes threads has been launched uh do you know what your thread number is by the way we just we were finding it just before we came on came on air. Um, I went on there at quarter past midnight because they just released it just after midnight UK time. Yes, and I managed to be uh, number one hundred seventy thousand six hundred and nine. But already, I think in like the last hour since we've come on, because it's been announced ten million today. Yeah. Mm. But I think it's gone even higher in in the last hour or so. Um, let me see if I can load up the actual figure. What's what's your number? I'm on one million oh. three thousand one hundred sixty-five. So I was a bit later than Scott. What about you? Well, I'm on like six point nine million. So I'm not really doing very well, am I? But <laughs> hey, I'm in the first ten million. So that's something. I mean, Scott, you've been using it. How, what's it like? How's it been? It feels very much like 2015 Twitter, like slight anarchy, um, completely and utterly unfiltered, Um, rather positive at the time being. The transphobes and the homophobes don't seem to be on the app or at least on your feed as of yet. Wait and see. Mm. Um, But it's got a nice positive atmosphere. I think it's still too early to say how successful it's going to be, even though it's hit these benchmarks already. Um, because I think it has to go beyond the stage of people just talking about using the app. Mm. Like it has to get into the post process of people sharing updates about the news or their opinions without thinking, oh, we have to be talking the fact that we're on threads. And what do you, what do you make of the timing of the app's release? I mean, it's been really interesting just the fact that Twitter is just going through the absolute motions. Mm. Um, it felt to me, at least, that Twitter died randomly on Saturday afternoon when they brought in that whole throttling thing that no one really can still make a sense of a week mm. later after it actually happened. But also, it's just become the whole sense that um, uh, people are not going to pay the $8, no matter how much they are trying to be convinced to. And I think people are now more prepared to give up Twitter entirely than pay money to use TweetDeck. Yeah. Um, I think they completely misjudged how much people have a love for the app. Um, and it's all down to Mark. So it's all down to Elon. I mm. think if he mm. never tweeted anything, mm. 
probably people would have continued, but because of his own personal politics, I think that's completely alienated a large set of his own user base. The thing that I find really interesting, though, is what happens to advertising on Twitter mm. and, you know, potential for advertising on threads, because these things all have to be monetized at some stage or other. And, you know, that's something that advertisers will be looking out for, you know, if there is a kind of migration of people towards mm. threads, or are, are people just going to use both and do social media managers just have another, you know, another platform to deal with. Could but there be potentially some privacy issues that the EU are concerned about, do you think? Well, that's the thing. If you actually try to download Fred's at the moment, I've got the list of all of the things that they have in terms of data. Mm. Mm. And like the data is um, everything from browsing history, location, usage, contacts, purchases, health, financial. Uh, if you compare to that to, let's say, Mastodon, you know, which mm. is another rival, so many rivals, mm. um, they don't take any of that in- information. And those social networks were set up uh, to kind of counter the Facebook uh, meta-style companies. Mm. It feels to be at the moment, I mean, I, I can only speak from the people who I follow and, and are using the app, but they, they don't seem to care about kind of the data. I guess it's kind of the case of if you're sharing stuff on social media, you kind of expect it and anticipate it. But because, of course, Facebook and Meta's history when it comes to personal mm. data mm. has not necessarily been that watertight, you sort of wonder about whether such situations will, will come up in the future. Now, when it comes to the tactics that Meta have used to take on Twitter, what do you make of them? Are they doing a good job? Are they being a no too pushy? Well, I think what's what's actually quite clever is they've done it via the Instagram brand, um, which people, you know, like and enjoy and and use. You know, there have been lots of changes to Instagram in the last two or three years, but, you know, people have sort of rolled with it. So I think the fact that it's connected to Instagram is quite actually quite a good strategy because, mm. you know, it makes it a kind of natural evolution. Um, it's a kind of friendly starting place, if you like. And you say friendly starting place. Apparently, there are no plans for adverts this year mm. oh wowzers mm. and I guess sort of premium features and trying to introduce a two-tier thing mm. I think what I just like is you know it is it, it was so easy it's three buttons because if you're trying to build a, a rival to Twitter because mm. many are trying um, you have to start from scratch you have yeah. to start from zero and I think now there was one button you pressed that says follow everyone on Instagram yeah I think you might come to regret that when you realise some of the people that you do follow on Instagram and when they start yeah. giving opinions on things. Yeah. But like at the same time, it means that it's already got a bit of life in it. It shouldn't feel like an arduous task. And I think that puts Twitter in a really ropey yeah. position. There's still no edit feature, though, that I could make out. So mm. that's that's still in a very early days. It's day one. Yeah. Right, day one. Literally day yeah. one. Yeah. But who would have thought it? Yeah. Mm. Let's see. Now, Ofcom are set to investigate the hosting duties of politicians on Talk TV and GB News. That's due to impartiality concerns. Now, although broadcasting rules prohibit politicians from fronting news programmes, unless editorially justified, they can host current affairs debates. But the change in the news programming landscape since the rules were introduced in 2005 has proved challenging for the regulator. So, Jane, question for you. Ofcom are researching whether audiences feel a ban is still appropriate given the rules almost 20 years old. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's interesting how they'll do this piece of research, working for a research company, obviously, because mm. I suspect that what might happen is you might end up with uh, no unanimous kind of view on whether it's appropriate for politicians to you know, front up news programmes or, or read news. It will be as divisive as you know some of those shows are um, themselves. Yeah. So I don't think it will be easily conclusive. Um, you know, sure, there might be a bit of a blurred line now between what is news and what's current affairs. It's probably there's probably a bit of a grey area, isn't there between between the two. 
But, you know, personally, I still find it sort of fairly shocking that a a, a politician can be presenting a, mm. a show. I think, I think you know, there is a line to be crossed somewhere. Now, I work for ITV News, uh, dear listener, and <laughs> um, I cannot imagine a day where yeah. a politician would be fronting a news bulletin. Yeah. But I think what's happened is because the landscape's changed so much with technology, um, these new entrants into the field are seen this as being an opportunity to try and push or bend the rules um so i guess in a way scott this has led this has led to a real kind of americanized opinion-based approach Mm. rather than you know presenting factual news would you say i mean absolutely i mean i think um angelo who of course um is the head of gb news he used to run sky news australia and sky news australia has a tradition of having conservative uh, right-wing politicians front tv shows it's not a new phenomenon and I remember that caused equal amount of concern mm. in Australia as it is now doing here. Um, I think it's just down to the fact that, I mean, you do wonder about the just the legitimacy of having, for example, Esther McVeigh and uh, Philip interviewing Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, about conservative policy yeah. when they are conservative sitting MPs. I mean, why? I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. honestly, why? And and I would say the same thing if it was Labour in power and you had Labour MPs interviewing. Mm. I think it's the classic case that Ofcom, as a regulator, is it's just far too slow to keep up with not only the rules but also changing uh, opinions. Uh, and this seems to be the case that the Ofcom regulations were there in the old model, which was in Channel Four, BBC, ICV. Um, impartial in the sense of having two different um, people on sharing their views and a generally impartial presenter trying to have a balance. Mm. We're now in an environment in which, um, according to Ofcom guidelines, you can have um, uh, still a uh, impartial style debate, but you can have it more kind of... Sounds to me you're balanced. saying that Ofcom needs to be stricter and come down harder. Well, you know, I think Ofcom just need to update the rules. It seems to be the case that Many people are concerned of politicians fronting TV programmes and also having guests who are also of the same political party that they are and that perhaps the rules need to be updated to reflect that. Mm. Um, they say that they are kind of launching a con- uh, was a consultancy yeah. with them. Uh, consultation. The public, consultation yeah. with yeah. the public to go and get them to share yeah. their opinions on this. Yeah. But you sort of wonder, mm. it's really struck a nerve, how long would it a- a- actually take to put into these rules if they decide to go ahead with it. Mm. But then there's the fact of who are the people in power, the Conservatives, who happen to be MPs, some of them having programmes. Mm. I would, couldn't imagine a situation where they would happily want to put down a rule that actually would affect their own MPs. Now, uh, Jeremy Clarkson's son column, vilifying Meghan Markle, has been found to be in breach of the Ipso Code on grounds of sexism. Mm. Now, this is the one back in 2022, so it's taken a while uh, to reach this verdict. However, the response has been divided, with some uh, celebrating the penalty for misogyny, mm. whilst others question what this means for press freedom. Now, Jane, um, Ipso upheld complaints on grounds of sexism. Uh, this is the first time it's done so. It's nine years yeah. uh, of existence. Uh, you know, what impact do you think this will have on representation of women in the press? I was very pleased about this because I was one of the people that complained oh, well, to okay. Ipso because, you know... Um, whatever you think about any of the characters involved, what what Jeremy Clarkson said was shocking, you know, pejorative, and I'm, you know, it's just it just is, and that has now come out in in this recent ruling. Um, you know, there is, a, you know, I always say this, but there is, a, you know, you can't just say what you want when you're just being really, really 
rude and pejorative about somebody. It's just not possible. You can talk about free speech, but if you're offending people, um, it's not right. And what was really interesting was that the people that actually brought the case were the Fawcett Society um, and the Wild Foundation, who represent, you know, violent, you know, uh, an organisation which um, uh, counters violence against women. So, you know, these people are taking these matters very seriously. And what he said, I'm not even going to repeat it, was mm. really, really shocking. Um, and it's, you know, after... When, when, you, when you saw it, how, yeah. how quick were you to complain about it? I was, well, the moment I knew that it was possible to complain to Ipso and that was the place to go, I did it, you mm. know, within, you know, I was, I was on the same day. <laughs> um, but I think, I think there is something to be said about perhaps, a, shall we say, old school, more entitled, you know, <laughs> type of uh, broadcaster or, or people who think they can just get away with things which are not acceptable anymore. Um, you know, you can you can dislike people as much as you like, but talking about hate and shit is just horrible. Yeah. It's, it's vile. Okay, now Scott, mm. here's the other side of the story, I guess. Now Fraser Nelson of The Spectator says that activists complaining on behalf of another, in this case Megan, puts Ipso in violation of its own charter. Mm. And that's raised concerns that opinion can now be censored. What do you make of that? Has he got a point? I mean, there's always going to be this thing about press freedom, activists having um, the way to sway and not allow the freedom to go in, uh, have people say what they want. I mean, arguably, um, Clarkson is not the only columnist who said something that's absolutely abhorrent. Um, And I do sometimes think to myself, well, surely there should be um, checks and balances to ensure that columnists don't come out and say absolute outright hatred. It's the editor, isn't it? (laughs) There there are times in which, of course, um, newspapers are supposed to provoke be controversial, say counterpoints, say opinions that you don't like. Mm. Um, but there's also a time in which there was a clear line of when something is just outright offensive, particularly if it's targeted at an individual. So I kind of see Fraser's points about press freedom, etc. But I am not thinking that this is the start of this great kind of silencing of press freedom in any particular way. In fact, if anything, you know, I sort of see the fact that it's taken so long for there to be a judgment. I mean, the news agenda is so quick. Mm. Now, when did this happen? This it happened was six, eight, six, seven months ago. Six, seven yeah. m- months ago. And yeah. then, of course, now it's um, another another sort of thing. And I sort of also, just a, not really an opinion, just as a fact, really taken by um, that the Sun said, uh, you know, the Sun had to go and put a front page clarification. Yeah. Good luck if you were able to see it. You know, the tiniest yeah. of line at the bottom, underneath yeah. an advert, in a beige background, yes, um, with a tiny little font, yeah. mm. saying something that in kind of pure media speak that would not be actually understood, I would imagine, beyond mm. people who knew about the ruling, mm. Ipso upholds Clarkson, mm. such and such. With a picture of a woman on a bikini, as in a bikini on the left-hand side of the page, which sort of... Let, let's, let's row back a bit. Yeah. Should it be Meghan Markle bringing this complaint or a pressure group? I mean, I'm not sure whether she did. Uh, she didn't bring the complaint herself. I think the pressure groups are able to make it with uh, with agreement from her people. And I, I suspect that's what happened. I guess there's a, a discussion to be sort of had about the involvement of online kind of groups um, in terms of sharing their points of view, if that's not a true representation of 
all readership. You know, the idea of like, um, in the case of, let's say, with Ofcom, you know, when you have a, a sizable minority of people who might be complaining about a certain show. I think in Ofcom's case, I mean, this is different, but Ofcom would only need to have one complaint if they think something's broken the rules to start an investigation. I think with, with Ipso in this sort of case, it was not a minority of people. It was a wide yeah. selection of people um, uh, who found it completely awful and shocking. It, it didn't feel like this was kind of quote unquote activists because that gives the idea that it was a certain mm. minority of people. This certainly feels a lot, a lot larger yeah. than that. Yeah. Okay, we'll have more media talk after this. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, Jane and Scott are back with me now. Guys, you've got to do your best to try and keep me perky. All I've right. been up since 4am this morning. I don't drink coffee. I drink like a small child <laughs> orange cordial. Ah. Uh, it's doing a good job. Um, Does it make a difference? I think so. Am I, am I still perky? You're still perky, but that's Slightly. the adrenaline of recorded radio. It's the yeah. adrenaline of podcasting. That's what it is. <laughs> All right, time for some news in brief. Now, London business newspaper City AM is looking for a buyer. The free sheet had sought investment, but it's now open to a sale to allow its brand to develop new revenue streams that take advantage of the new media landscape. Now, Jane, mm-hmm. uh, what have been the main contributing factors here? Um, the papers face challenges, hasn't it, in the, in the ad environment? Yeah, I think obviously free sheets during COVID suffered enormously because there wasn't the footfall, the traffic around the distribution that they used to use at tube stations. There just wasn't enough um, to sustain the business there. You know, plus in the meantime, obviously the digital you know, news market has continued to expand, continue to grow and become more popular. Um, I thought it was interesting the language they used in in their statement, which is we need to rapidly diversify and expand our revenue streams, which I'm not sure I would necessarily <laughs> write that in, in, a, in a public facing statement. But um, it's clear that, you know, the points that Scott were making actually, you know, all broadcasters, all publishers need to keep up with the times and actually speed is important. Mm. You need to do it quickly. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just the case that if you go on more off the underground now, mm. you get signal. Like up on yeah. the Jubilee line. Yep. Good Sometimes point. on the Elizabeth line. I mean, this is the most London-centric mm. conversation if you are beyond <laughs> London, yeah. by the way. I do yeah. apologise. But but That's I think that, of course, you know, free sheets yeah. are just going to find it harder and harder to retain that. And mm. I think it's something like the Evening Standard mm. used to have circulation of nearly a million. Yeah. And now it's down to around 300,000. And that drop of two-thirds, of course, COVID being a factor... Um, happened only over the course of three years. Yeah. And you can't think that they would ever get back to um, a million again. So I mean, you, they've got you, a new editor, George, Dylan Jones, yeah. mm. who, of course, is going to be putting in a lot of ideas into the paper. But, I mean, it's, it's certainly... They've, they've sort of also said we're doubling down on going digital from now on. Mm. So do you think there's a risk of us losing these free papers in their entirety? It'll be a great shame if they, they work. I still think they're very important in terms of mm. providing kind of local reporting or in the CEAM's case, specialist financial reporting. Mm. Um, and I think that in you only have to look at like the independent when that became a digital um, uh, outlet only, mm. even though it has, of course, front pages that get circulated online each day. You could feel it drop out of the conversation that I think people are having yeah. compared to, let's say, a newspaper or in the stand does, even though newspaper circulation have, has, of course, over the last decade and more been dropping quite significantly. There's something in the fact, the fact that um, a paper provides um, kind of a position in British cultural life. Mm-hmm. And I think if you lose that, um, putting it online, competing against everything else, it's very difficult mm. to keep your paper relevant. Now, Apple could be made to pay for news content if the government gets its way. Currently, the UK's most popular news app offers a share of advertising revenue to publishers, with some benefiting from subscriptions. But in a bid to avoid market dominance, the new bill could mean Apple and other tech giants Mm. face stricter regulation. Now, um, Jane, uh, what is the purpose of the Digital Markets Competition and Consumers Bill? Well, there's a whole host of purposes that it has, but it's looking at broadly at, uh, I think, competition in the tech sector and like what is fair and equitable and what isn't. And I think it's, um, you know, looking at, um, you know, sort of the competition in the area of news obviously is hotly debated. You remember what happened in Australia a few years ago, Mm. where actually Google and Facebook were made to um, start paying the providers of news. How's that working out now? Um, I'm not sure of the update, but it's, you know, it seems to be an ongoing situation that they have. I don't think it's encountered any difficulties, but I remember it was very, very contentious at the time because, you know, who is the gatekeeper, who's providing the content and who funds it is really important. So I think, you know, if it happened here, it wouldn't be a huge surprise. And also it wouldn't be a huge surprise because obviously Apple News is something if you've got an iPhone, you tend to get Apple News. So millions of people have it. So um, it's one of the dominant news providers. There's no question. Mm. Now, Scott, what are the potential changes for the large tech companies, do you think? I mean, I think in regards to Apple's case, it's an interesting one because Apple News is fairly new. It's only come out in the last couple of years. They do pay out um, You know, through Apple News Plus. Um, it means that uh, companies such as The Times or Sunday Times receive money, a proportion of the subscriptions. I mean, I'm not entirely sure. Um, from what we know about how happy they are with these terms or how much other media titles are happy with what they get. I think, though, of course, if the regulation comes down too tightly, then Apple, who at the end of the day, their core business, as well as doing a lot of other services, but it's primarily phones, might go, why are we getting involved in this space? You know, mm. like, we, we don't have to be involved in this market. Mm. Um, and then they could pull out. And of course, that's the same with Google. That's the same with Facebook. That's the same with others. It's always going to be a bit of a tightrope. But I think at a time when... 
Um, of course, the advertising industry is taking a big hit in terms of the money going into media publishers at the moment. Um, we're, we're certainly you know, heading towards a bit of a fall rather than a bit of a rise. I think it's going to become a bigger story over the next few months and years. Okay. Now, concerns over Channel 4 and ad revenue. Sir John Whittingdale MP this week revealed concerns over Channel 4's ability to move away from ad revenue. Uh, Scott, what's he been saying? I mean, he's been saying that um, he's he's concerned on Channel 4 relying on advertising revenue, particularly as it's been having a very difficult um, uh, few months. Uh, Channel 4 pretty much saying, look, we're not going to be making many shows over the summer. Um, Ian Katz, though, giving an indication that things will return back to normal at one point soon. But of course, it's been a very difficult um, few months with an industry that relies entirely, or not entirely, but with a great deal of freelancers working from project to project, suddenly finding that at a time of a year when their projects normally go upwards, there are no uh, projects to be found. Um, so it's the, the case of, uh, I think John Whittingdale saying, with the new ideas that we're putting in with Channel 4, that they'll be able to come up with their own ideas in the same way that ITV Studios has. Maybe it will put less reliance um, for Channel 4 on just month-to-month advertising. And of course, we're going to have to wait and see about um, the long-term plan for that. I guess I saw um, Nadine Doris was doing a thing being like, aha, Mm -hmm. if if privatisation of Channel 4 happens, then lo and behold, they they wouldn't be in the situation. But then you're thinking, well, firstly, privatisation, if it was going to happen, probably wouldn't have happened by now because things happen very slowly, particularly in regards to this media bill that's still not really gone through all of the steps yet. But also... I mean, if you look at the wider media market at the moment, nobody's having a really good time. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Channel 4 would have been adversely affected, I think, anyway, um, particularly at a time when streaming is going through a massive amount of consolidation cuts mm. and, of course, a writer's strike at the same time. So so I, I think it's the case that, yes, Channel 4 is having a very difficult month, but you're sort of wondering, well, would any situation would have led, led to where we are now. Jane, what could this mean for the indie sector if Channel 4 in the future makes more content in-house? I mean, back in... For our time, 1982, when Channel mm, 4 was mm, formed, mm. it was there to help support and to boost the UK indie sector. But if it's no longer there to do that, what's the what's the point? Well, that yeah, you're absolutely right. That was part of its original purpose was to support the sector. I mean, you know, any any gradual sort of shift towards in housing, in house production, um, is going to mean that um, you know it can monetize itself as a as a channel in other ways. Um, but doesn't support the, you know, the UK's production sector. So, um, you know, to a certain extent, these things sort of go in cycles and swings and roundabouts. But, um, you know, you can't benefit one part of the industry without taking it away from somebody else. So Mm. it's never going to be a win-win. Okay, thank you. All right. Who likes a quiz? Who doesn't like a quiz? Come on. Well, I hated the quiz last time really? because I lost. I, I got all the answers wrong. So I'm hoping this time I might do it a little bit better. I'm going to do a virtual drum roll. <laughs> uh, time now for the quiz. That was great. Really, you liked yeah, it? Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. completely. If you're listening, you'll not be able to know what just happened. But he did try to actually do a drum. It looked like a drum without roll. making any noises, <laughs> yeah. so you couldn't hear it. But he did do it. Why? Thank you, virtual bow. And so, uh, reboot or got the boot. I'll name a media brand or show. You tell me if this week they've had a reboot or got the boot. Okay? So you buzz in with your name and you know the answer. So if it, Jane, if it's you, you say... Jane. And Scott, if it's you, you say... Scott. It's a really simple system and it works really well on radio. Audio. Or audio. <laughs> audio. Get it right. Yeah, get it right. It's only here for one week. All right, here it is. Uh, so number one, uh, ESPN presenters. 
Scots. Okay. I think they... Um, what were the two options again? <laughs> really, really well. Or... Got the boot. Got the boot. Got the boot. I think ESPN have announced 20 people yeah. to be mm. departing. That's very good. Well Obviously, done. Obviously, quite sad. At the, you know, just like many roles being cut at, at, at the moment. Very, very sad times. Yeah, so here it is. So they got the boot. About 20 on-air presenters uh, from the US network have been let go. Uh, the cuts come amidst uh, economic difficulty for the network uh, due to a 25% decline in viewership over the past decade, and that's uh, impacted their distribution revenue. Yeah, kind of strange we put that in the quiz, in the quiz really, wasn't it? Very depressing quiz yeah. is now yeah. made, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. that, was, that was a mistake. Back to the drawing board. Yeah, back to the drawing board. Anyway. <laughs> okay, number two, Biker Grove. Uh, Jane. Yes. That's my name. <laughs> That's your name? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. your name. That's my name. And the answer is Reboot. Correct. Yeah, because I understand that Ant and Deck, who were originally in Biker Grove, mm-hmm. are resurrecting in a new way a series called Biker as producers. Very good. All right, Reboot, yes. So everyone's favourite Geordie duo. Uh, they're going back to their roots, uh, although not yet attached to a broadcaster. Uh, Fullwell 73 and the Pairs production company Mitre Studios are preparing for a prime time slot. Did Biker Grove, was that everyone prime time? It was I like, mean, it was it was my prime time. Yeah, it was kids' prime time. Kids' yeah, prime yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Five, uh, yeah, ten past five. Yeah, it, yeah. Unfortunately, it used to clash with my clarinet practice. Oh. Um, so <laughs> I was only ever able to see the ending titles or the opening what, titles. What grade did you get to in the clarinet? I got to grade five. Very um, good. But then I had to change from a plastic clarinet to a real clarinet because my hands were too small. And it, when you move from one to the other, yeah. uh, you're, um, you have to learn the whole instrument all over again from the beginning. There's, there's, no, there's no correlation between where you put your fingers. So thanks for that. That was great. For, the, for those interested, we have got an, an extra podcast talking about that later on with Scott. Um, <laughs> do tune in. Uh, number three, the Andrew Neil show. Oh. oh yeah, you did say it first. Yeah. Uh, he's getting the boot. He has got the boot. Yeah. Why? What's going on? I think his show's been cancelled. Yes. Um, uh, among a whole swathe of other things being cancelled on Channel 4 due to... Belt tightening and cost cutting, I would imagine. Correct, that's right. Mm. So uh, the Sunday Night Political Show is the latest Channel 4 programme to face the chop. Although it's been well received since uh, debuting last year, it won't return in 2023. And a comeback next year looks uncertain. Uh, By my calculations, I think that makes Jane our winner. Yes, finally. Finally. How many times has that been for you now? Uh, Once. Once, all right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right well thank you both very much thanks jane osler and scott bryan uh where can our listeners find each of you and keep up with your work uh cantar.com or i'm also jane e osler on threads on threads there we go there, there we, we go, go. plug the in. threads how about you scott uh, uh, at scotty gb on social media because it's pretty much threads it's uh, it's exhausting even on be real like can yeah, we just decide can we just decide one social media app yeah. stick to it that's China, it's right? Isn't it? Stressful. It's a first world <laughs> dilemma issue. But like, can yeah. we just choose one and move on with our lives? Because, yeah, geez, Louise, it's too much. It's too much. Mm. I thought you'd be against monopolies. That's another. That, I'm discussing that on the other podcast. Oh, really? That one. Yeah, very yeah. good. That, that's the opening. That's the opening number. <laughs> against monopolies. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much for joining us today at the London Podcast Studios. You can now get 25% off your first booking here when you use the code MEDIAPOD at thelondonpodcaststudios.com. That's MEDIAPOD at thelondonpodcaststudios.com for 25% off. My name's Warren Nettleford. The producer was Matt Hill with support from Laura Elwood-Craig. 
It was a Rethink Audio production. Matt is back next week. Goodbye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.